Morning. Hopefully you can hear me. Great. Fantastic. Could we have the um, slides up, please? So um, we've been looking through the book of Acts in the Bible um, uh, over the last few weeks. And um, I thought it would be good before we got into the um, reading of Acts 5 to have a little recap. So next slide, I should be able to control that with the clicker. Do I have to press the blue button first? Pull it back. I'm pulling it back. I'm pushing it. I'm pulling it. Could you advance the slides, please? Just one slide. Yeah, um, so um, in Acts, we've already seen how the number of Christians at the very beginning of Acts was really small. It was just 120 people, maybe double the number of people that are here in this room this morning. That was it. They were Jesus followers, the whole lot. There were perhaps people who'd, in their thousands, who'd heard him speak around Israel, but they weren't really core followers. And then within a few weeks, few months, that number had jumped. We know that uh, by Acts chapter 2, another 3,000 people had been added to their number. So as you can see from the size of those blocks, they'd gone from a very tiny group where everybody knew one another to this most enormous um, fellowship of people who uh, probably most of them didn't know. So what was the effect of that? Next slide, please. Um, actually, uh, before I move to the, what I was going to say... Um, for stories of how that kind of thing is happening, that explosive growth. Have a look at this uh, website, the crtrust.org. They've got loads of great stories about church planting in the UK that's happening today, with churches going from just 100 people to 600 in just a few years. Next slide, please. The, the paradox was really that with that growth from 120 to 3,120, that somehow they didn't lose fellowship and intimacy. In fact, the more that people came in, the more that mission was going out, the greater the fellowship and intimacy that there was between the believers. Maybe one way to look at that is the diagram that I've, I've put there. So that triangle is supposed to represent several disciples, many disciples, all relating upwards to God in those, along those arrows. So each disciple relates to God along where the arrow lies. And as we draw near to God ourselves and become closer to him, we actually find that without realizing it, we get closer to one another because we're drawing nearer to him. So uh, uh, as you can see in the triangle at the bottom, there's a really fat wide line at the bottom and as you go up the line between the 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 disciples gets closer I don't know whether I've conveyed that properly but that might be what was happening that because this was all fueled by uh, a, a deepening closening relationship with God they were seeing blessing next slide please in fact it says in the verses preceding the ones that we're about to hear all the believers were one in heart and mind No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Next slide. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Next slide, please. I'd love you to read the reading, please, Anne. Thank you.
Is this on? Yes, it is. Good. Um, our reading this morning is from Acts 5, uh, starting at verse 1. It can be found in, on page 1096 of the Church Bibles. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who, who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up the body, and carried it out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, um, yeah, Peter asked her, tell, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, there's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. As we um, reflect on this passage we've just heard, uh, solemn stuff, we know that can be both a wonderful experience and a scary experience. We thank you that you are the God that created the universe. Thank you that you are so good, so good that your eyes can't look on evil. Uh, and it's only Jesus' blood that, that keeps us safe. We just ask you, Lord, that as we uh, look at Acts 5 this morning, that you will remind us of your, all aspects of your character and that you would leave us... Uh, Positive and walking uh, closer with you at the end of the day. Amen. Amen. Next slide, please. Yeah. This is a very short, neat account from Luke. Like all of his accounts are, very good doctor summary of um, of the facts. We don't know an awful lot about what happened beforehand. Uh, before. Ananias and Sapphira came to Peter, except that Luke says that they didn't give the full amount of money they said they did. They seem to be scared 
that if they gave the whole lot from what must have been quite a, a big, valuable resource, especially when you think about how expensive land and houses are today, maybe they weren't as important in their economy back then, but huge amount of money. But they felt like, oh my goodness, if we give the full hundred grand or whatever it was, we're going to have nothing. So we're going to need to keep some of that. So what they did was rather than just say to the apostles, we've, we've decided to give 80 of the 100 that we got. They decided to just tough it out and pretend that that was the full price they got because, of, of course, they could have negotiated differently and, and received a different amount. And the consequences were awful. Next slide, please. One of the things that has struck me and I've been thinking about for weeks is something that Pop said to me a couple of weeks ago about this passage was, Where, where's the grace in that? Where's the grace in them suddenly being dropping dead? It doesn't say that God killed them, but like Peter seemed to seemed to be linked to what Peter was saying. And and I was just looking. I've done this little diagram here to try and uh, and you may not be able to see all of the words, but in the green box it says before. The red box represents the moment when Ananias and Sapphira were giving the gift. And then the, the blue box is what happened afterwards. So we, we don't know everything that happened beforehand. So um, presumably Ananias and Sapphira have been wrestling with this. They'd actually talked together because they'd kind of formed a bit of a conspiracy as, as to how they were going to deal with it. And then they decided that actually just a lie was, was the way to go through with it. We don't know whether God had already spoken to them and challenged them. Was, was this the right way to go forward? And they kind of just buried themselves away from God and, uh, and decided, well, we've got to do this. Barnabas had done it. He'd been raised up and elevated amongst the disciples for having done this kind of thing. And they, they wanted that same acclaim, perhaps. We don't know that. That's just a supposition. Um, next slide, please. But what, what they did do is that as they came closer towards God in terms of wanting to make a gift... As they got closer and realised the enormity of what they were doing, they actually turned back. Next slide. This theme isn't uh, just a blip of kind of scariness in the book. It does come up quite a few times that physical suffering appears in this book. So Paul became blind for a few days. Herod... Um, ended up dying and according to Acts that was because he hadn't given glory to God when some people uh, in Israel had called him a deity. Uh, James got put to death by the religious leaders totally unjustly and unfairly. Stephen was stoned to death. There were imprisonments, riots, beatings and shipwrecks. So it was a time, it was quite a, a maelstrom time of really kind of full-on stuff. Great blessing. But also Christians and others going through quite difficult circumstances. Next slide, please. Another thing that I think is really interesting about this whole passage is the way that spiritual gifts are operating here. Very often we, uh, when we experience prophecy or gifts of knowledge, they're quite vague or pictorial 
and there's quite a lot of uncertainty about how things might be interpreted. But one of the things that's really struck me about reading through Acts is the way that prophecy, um, while not restricted to that, did actually forecast famines. It did forecast that Paul would be imprisoned unfairly by the Jews. And this gift of knowledge, which I'm guessing is what is being operated, what is being in operation here in this passage, this actually showed up sin in a most embarrassing and like awful way for the, for these two people. So the gifts that we see operating in Acts are a little bit different to the way we see them operating today. And I don't know whether that's because the Spirit has chosen to work in a slightly different way today, or maybe we need our we need to match how spiritual gifts operate with what happens in scripture but I just throw that out there as a side note of of interest next slide please yes another paradox Uh, you remember in the few slides back I had a block of what happened before then a little red box of what happened at the time of giving and then another green box for what happened afterwards what were the ripples of this awesome event um, it says later on in Acts that in that same chapter that many signs and miracles followed <clears throat> uh, this event not caused by it but, but they, they didn't stop the miracles kept coming the believers met together nobody else dared join them and there was this sense of awe about what had happened with Ananias and Sapphira It had definitely made people aware that God was a holy God, that he wasn't to be trifled with, and that joining the people of God, or the the new church as it was forming, was not something to just kind of do lightly. This was something to really think carefully about and not to overpromise when there were things before God concerned. And yet, in verse 14 there, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the whole trajectory of growth wasn't really checked by this. In fact, it seemed to be an act of of, um, uh, purifying and uh, pruning of the church that helped it to grow more strongly and more vigorously going forward. Next slide, please. And the other thing I'd like to do today, you know, I think that passage about Ananias and Sapphira speaks for itself. It's very, I don't really think it needs any more explanation beyond what's there. And I don't want to add in presuppositions. But what I would like to do is to draw your attention to the other Ananias in the Bible. This is the Ananias in uh, Acts chapter 9, who faced a really similar situation, but responded completely differently to the Ananias we've been talking about. I'll read this little passage. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Next slide, please. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. 
and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. This guy Saul had, been, had presided over the stoning to death of Stephen. Saul was a very full-on guy. He didn't, um, he didn't do things by half measures. He was a very passionate person. He, he had kept the law of, of Moses. He'd been a strict Jew all his life. And he was absolutely fiery about the, the Jewish religion. So much so that he considered Christians to be opponents of that. A little bit like we've seen in some terrorist situations in recent years where people have been thought to be uh, unfaithful to God and have been killed by, um, in, in various situations. So this guy was a scary person. Ananias was being asked by God to go and meet him and say, welcome to Damascus. And everybody knew that Saul's only purpose for this short break to Damascus was to capture Christians and take them back to Jerusalem, where they would probably be killed or at least imprisoned. So Ananias had fears. Um, He faced up to the same kind of thing that the other Ananias did. The other Ananias was worried that he wouldn't have enough to live on. This Ananias was worried that he might not have a life at all. Next slide, please. But God had an answer to him. And at least Ananias wrestled with these fears in front of God. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and, the pe- and to the people of Israel. I will show you, show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul had got temporary blindness after a big light had knocked him off his horse. And that's, that was the suffering. Next slide, please. Ananias was scared to go, just like the other Ananias was scared. In this case, though, rather than turning away from God, finding a sticking plaster solution to make everything kind of work, let's hope, fingers crossed, etc. This time, Ananias did the honest thing and did what God said. The consequences were amazing. Paul traveled all the way around um, the Mediterranean area. God changed his name from Saul to Paul. And a huge movement was born and a huge growth occurred. Next slide, please. So compared to the other diagram where the, the disciple came near to God and then turned away, this one, the disciple just kept on going. He didn't know how the outcome was going to work out. He didn't have any Calstein answers from God to, to, to really assure him that this wasn't going to be, he had heard wrong and this was going to be a terrible Outcome, But he walked forward, put one foot in front of the other and trusted God. Next slide, please. So in conclusion, uh, there's one other thing on here that I didn't write in. We need to be careful what we promise. Ananias and Sapphira said, this is what we've given. They didn't have to do that. They could have said, we actually only feel enough faith to do this. Sometimes when we sing songs we've got some fantastic songs to sing but they say things like um, you know I will follow you Lord all my days do you really mean that if you don't maybe it's not always appropriate to sing it maybe it's not always appropriate to claim something in front of God's people if if you're not there yet 
Uh, be honest to where you're at. And then times of fear. We all have them. And sometimes they're times that uh, God wants to see how we respond. And he's looking for us to do the right thing. A bit like a parent does with their young child. Uh, when, when the toddler starts to say thank you in, of their own accord rather than being prompted. Times of fear can be doorways of opportunity as the last Ananias found, or they can be paths to ruin. Second, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. The love, the grace, the mercy are all there in the Old Testament. And actually, in Jesus' life and in the life of the early church, there were times of kind of severity and um, exactness and God's holiness coming through. God isn't a 2D cardboard cutout. He's not just unconditional anything. If he was unconditional, he wouldn't be able to act and choose and be a person. Unconditionality, I think, is right when it means that we know that God loves us no matter what. But God does act towards us and towards his creation in a way that is fully personal. He has a character with many attributes, and all of those attributes play out. The right response to being overwhelmed is to bring the thing that overwhelms us to him, not to hold it back, not to sit in a corner and and be anxious and fearful, but to come to him to reveal our anxieties to him and then to be courageous. If necessary, just put one foot in front of the other. Thanks for listening. Oh, very if you like um, books, um, a story of an elderly Jewish man who went to see the Hamas in uh, the West End Gaza Strip, and he, was, he offered them a Bible. There's, you know, just like Ananias going to see Saul, this guy thought, I'll go and talk to Hamas. I'm sure they'll be nice people. <laughs> so another faith-filled story if you want something to stimulate or encourage. It's not on the bookstall, but you can get it from Amazon. Oh, okay. Or, so or any other quality bookshop. Yes. <laughs> um,